This is the Cyber Union Podcast, episode 89. This podcast kills fascists. Welcome to Cyber Unions. My name is Walton in Geneva, Switzerland, and with me is... Stephen in Boston, Massachusetts. Geneva, Switzerland. That seems like a different location. <laughs> yeah, stuff has happened since our last uh, podcast, which uh, you informed me was just over a year ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, probably the last one I was living in Scotland. Um, yeah. And yeah, I just moved to Geneva in... In February, uh, in February of this year. Nice, nice. Uh, I imagine that given. Well, let's before we go into the wonders of why how you ended up there. Um, what brings us together? <laughs> why would we ever think to bring a, bod- a podcast back after a year and a month? <laughs> well, um, I guess a terrible thing happened in the world, um, uh, and it's part of a string of terrible things. In fact, uh, is, most people would agree that uh, 2016 has not been the most auspicious of years. Um, yeah, I mean, the politics has been ugly. Leonard Cohen died, David Bowie died. Um, yeah, it's not been pretty. <laughs> yeah, you got a beard going now. I'm not sure. If I feel like <laughs> I should be jealous or something. But uh. yeah, can, can you hear the beard scratching against the mic? Does it make a difference to where the podcast sounds? <laughs> Uh, I mean, I still need to train you on growing a proper one, but, you know, we'll work on that. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, shit is shitty on this side of the, the, the pond, <laughs> uh, for sure. Um, we have elected, I, I don't know what we've elected, that's, a, that's I think, the mm. scariest part. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, I mean, we'll delve into this in a bit, of course, but, um, so... Yeah, uh, we'll get into that. Um, so, what what uh what brought you to Geneva? Let's jump to that stuff before we get to the wonderful meaty shit. Okay, um, I got a, a job with a global union uh, called Industrial. So I'm in their communications department. Um, for people who don't know what global unions are, they are uh, they bring together local unions from all around the world and do campaigning on. Uh, international stuff, basically taking on uh, multinational corporations. So it's like a multinational union to take on a multinational corporation. Mm-hmm. And industrial covers mining, manufacturing, energy, and textile sectors. So we have about uh, 600 unions from around the world that we work with. And uh, it's really interesting work, and I enjoy it. And uh, to be honest, right now, I'm kind of glad to be in Switzerland because it feels like a bubble, but uh, a nice bubble to be in. Um, after Brexit, I'm glad I'm not in the UK anymore. And yeah. uh, I don't really think I'd like to be in in, in the US either, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, the, the um, uh, well, yeah, that's, that's good. I'm glad to hear that you are in a nice bubble. I kind of envy you. Um, <laughs> the, mm. yeah, the Brexit and, and Trump or Drumpf, as uh, his proper name should be, 
uh, before he moved from Scotland. Uh, his family's name was Drumpf, D-R-U-M-P-F. Um, so there was some nice hats that were make Donald Drumpf again. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, in yeah, it's uh, I'm gonna I, I'm gonna preface this as I may go a little bit chaotic because it's really weird to grapple with all this shit. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, the before we get into the grappling of it, there's some interesting things that I had to experience in the times leading up to this, which was that uh, I got to finally see a element of Rage Against the Machine, uh, which mm-hmm. was Prophets of Rage concert, mm-hmm. um, which had a Make America Rage Again <laughs> um, mm-hmm. slogan at one point in their display. Um, and uh, it was actually kind of cool. It was really honestly nostalgic and it feels weird to say that because i still feel like rage was still playing like a year ago Mm. uh and uh it's just it's 20 years ago and i'm like whoa what the hell happened 20 years and it's freaking me out and then i feel like we're also you know reliving a lot of the shit from the 2000s again um but uh yeah so let's uh let's jump into this political shit how about that okay okay So I, I'm gonna I'll share a little bit on my my side, uh, which is just the night of the election. You know, leading up to it, I kind of thought Hillary was gonna win, but um, I wasn't ecstatic about it. It kind of for me felt like 2000, like Al Gore and Bush. It was just like one of those things of like there just wasn't a tremendous amount of excitement. There wasn't a tremendous amount of enthusiasm and interest, unlike what we experienced in 2008 when Barack Obama first ran, um, and so. I mean, I I didn't have the feeling of staying up late to find out, mm-hmm. because by about midnight, I felt like it was going to be 2000 all over again. I felt like it was going to be a number of weeks before, you know, votes were completely tallied, that there were going to be court cases and all this other stuff. So, you know, I signed off and said, you know, wake up to one kind of hell tomorrow. We just don't know which one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I went to sleep and I actually slept soundly, to be honest. Um, when I woke up, uh, though, I popped on my phone and just took a look at the headlines and uh, saw Trump triumphs and kind of had a immediate gag reflex and um, <laughs> was like, alright, am I sleeping? Um, mm-hmm. Not sure. If I'm still sleeping. Is this a nightmare? Um, and not it really is, clear. <laughs> it is utterly surreal, isn't it? I think that, it I mean, is. that captures how I still haven't processed it a few days later. It's just really surreal. Yeah, and my immediate thought was like, this is, and it's the scary shit, is like, back to the future, uh, Biff, mm-hmm. um, and we just elected Biff, and Biff has similar character and everything else, and it was the same exact year, mm-hmm. if I recall correctly, um, uh, and all I could think of was like, alright, wait, wait, how did, how did they resolve that problem? Oh my gosh, shit, they had a time machine. Oh, fuck, mm-hmm. we need a time okay. machine. <laughs> do, you know, do, you know, do you know what I've started to wonder, right? Do you, know, do you remember the, um, the Mayan calendar and that prophecy that was going around about how the world's going to end in 2012? Mm-hmm. So I'm beginning to wonder if maybe it did. And like, <laughs> or, or, or it split, like time split, and we're somehow trapped in the wrong version of the future. Uh, (laughs) Um, i mean this can't be reality anymore it's just it's just it's become so unpredictably insane i mean i I guess especially coming after the neoliberal era because the the one thing about the neoliberal era that it it had the same technocratic predictability 
to it. Mm-hmm. Like you just you just knew basically that whoever whoever wins, um, it's all going to be about uh, efficiency and productivity and you know and nothing ma- nothing means anything anymore and there's no more politics and um, and I guess that's why people stopped voting. So you know, like uh, people stopped engaging with politics because it didn't matter anymore. Yeah. And how suddenly it really matters again. Um, <laughs> and the, I guess the disturbing thing is that people on the left have been trying to tear a hole in history mm-hmm. for a long time, like to break out of this uh, thing that neoliberalism has given us, this kind of suppression of all politics and the channeling of all human endeavor into managerialism. And the disturbing thing is that it's the right that's managed to tear that hole. They've managed to fracture um, reality. They've managed to... Yeah, they've managed to cut a, a, a gap in the, the the fabric of of the world that we live in, and yeah. uh, uh, you know, um, <laughs> I guess the thing is, the hole is there now; it's torn apart, and we really have to charge in there and and uh, use that space. That's the only thing that we can do. Yeah, you know, we, I, we can't wait to see. We don't know what Trump's going to do, but we can't wait and see, can we? No, we can't. And and I'm going to jump on what you just said, which is that we don't know what Trump is going to do. And that, I think that's the that's the scariest part. Like leading up to the election, you know, I was just you know looking at it. I'm like, all right, Hillary's a devil. We know because we know she's not our savior in the sense of like she's not going to be bringing about really anything that Bernie was even talking about, which is even which wasn't even enough if anything. Like mm-hmm. he actually was hitting the populist message, but it wasn't like he was calling for you know. A revol- an actual revolution. He's calling for a political revolution, which is very mm. different because it's not talking about a worker revolution, which is necessary. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, so it's like the devil we know versus literally the devil we don't know because we have very little understanding of what the hell Trump is going to do. And he has said that he likes to keep people on their toes and not to be and to be unpredictable because he finds it as a good negotiation tactic. And I'm like, okay, I mean, so. And, and I think about this a little bit more, and I, I'm trying to take it from a worker side. It, you know, he is in opposition to unions, but most of his hotels are unionized. So, like, he's not that good, if you will, at fighting them off as mm. compared to other CEOs who have actually kept completely... Com- no, he's, he's all bluster, right. isn't he? I mean, he's technically not, not a very good businessman. He's, 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 he's a showman more than a businessman. Exactly. So... And it, it so he's he puts like I mean I, I I keep coming back to this like thing of like it it's it's kind of living in chaos mm-hmm. and and it's just like trying to situate ourselves into okay if we go this direction what do we get and all of a sudden when you start turning right it turns left and then you're like wait if I turn left then it turns up I'm like wait hold on <laughs> where, where am I going and you can't figure out the trajectory of what anything does. Hmm. And and I, I and I know I'm getting exceptionally abstract because that's kind of where I feel like we are. We're in this like but, yeah, war. a butterfly flaps its wings in Geneva and Workers' Revolution breaks out in America. You know, yeah, and <laughs> it's it's like cause and effect seem to have separated. Like yeah, you know, things things have just descended into something which is complex and chaotic and. Uh, it, it makes me think of um, my favorite quote from Chairman Mao, who, uh, just for the record, is not a political leader I'm particularly fond of, um, just in case. Um, oh, you Maoist. People <laughs> were concerned about that. 
Um, but I think it's a good quote. Uh, he says, uh, chaos under heaven, all is well. Um, and what he, mean, what he means by that is that you can't change the world when things are stable. Yeah. Um, but when the old structures fall apart, uh, society becomes very malleable very quickly. Um, yeah. And I guess the, the one thing I, I was thinking about, like just today, you know, there are all these analogies between Trump and Hitler. Mm-hmm. And they're good ones. And also quite a lot of the people who support Trump clearly are some form of Nazi um, but the, the difference, the real difference is that today's Nazis are postmodern Nazis. And what I mean by that is before Hitler came to power, he had a really strong street movement that was organized and disciplined. Like, mm-hmm. So when he inserted himself into power, they had, he had a street movement behind him. Trump doesn't have that. There are no organized, like the fascists in, in the US and the fascists in the world are actually not particularly well organized mm-hmm. so i guess the, the what's really important is to is for us to stop them getting organized yeah um you know i mean we and like the the, the organizations of the left are definitely not as strong as they used to be but we do still have trade unions and we do still have uh, left-wing political parties and social movements and stuff like that and we do have those networks that we've been building through um sometimes decades of political struggle and sometimes things which have come together a lot more recently like Occupy but there are activists out there who know each other and it's like now is absolutely the time that we need to organize something because the right isn't that organized yet I don't think yeah no and I agree and I think that's a very valid point and and I think um I mean I going into the political analysis of, of this election I mean there's a lot of shit that's out there. The bigotry, the racism, the sexism, the misogynist, misogynistic, every, everything. Like, it's it's scary as fuck. And we're already seeing some of that shit happening in, in public schools and, and, and really just bullshit uh, that we... I mean, it's to say that it wasn't there before, is this something that wasn't covered before? Like, that shit's been there, I think. It's just not been mm. as vocal. Um, and it's part of, like, not addressing these these intricate problems, and this is something that if I were to stay a Democrat, if you will, uh, which I haven't been a Democrat since like 2004, um, uh, they're just too damn liberal. But um, if they're if they were going to do anything, they needed to figure out the problems that their own president in 1968 said LBJ when he signed the Civil Rights Act, which was "There goes the South," and mm. what he meant by that is "There goes the working class white communities," and and they they jumped ship almost immediately. Um, mm-hmm. And there's there had been a need, and this goes both for the political parties, but also for labor unions, a need to organize those communities, and it is fucking hard. It is not easy. They there's there the Appalachia and everything else. These are communities that have been screwed over by numerous different governments and everything else over the years. And sometimes the knee jerk reaction is to go to the easiest explanation, which tends to be something sexist, racist, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's a class division that needs to be addressed, and it's going to be hard. But it is something that we need to confront, and it's not going to yeah. be one of those things of yelling in their face saying they're wrong because that's not going to win anything over. Mm. Um, but understanding the economic circumstances of what happened to their communities, and I mean, I, I I feel like in one sense I'm I'm speaking to what you know the one thing that Trump was able to tap was that uproar, and with low voter turnout, which we have to emphasize here. That mm. the turnout this time around was the lowest voter turnout since I think 2000. Mm-hmm. Uh, that 
that even Mitt Romney got more votes, I think, than than Donald Trump did in 2012. It's just that Obama got six million or five million more yeah. votes than Hillary. That's, that, yeah, that's actually a good point because you, you know it looks like Trump has been given this massive mandate, but he isn't hugely popular in no. the U.S. It's just that you know he's. Um, Hillary didn't inspire anyone, um, and he managed to mobilize enough of a base of angry people to uh, to, to get into power. And I guess you know what you're saying there makes me think of basically the problem of the left is that I don't know when this started, maybe in the late '60s, but we we basically abandoned class and moved our politics into um, I guess what you'd call identity politics. So you know we left we left aside class struggle and got active in, in um, feminism and anti-racism and, and all sorts of struggles like that. And we won, or we thought we had won that struggle. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, uh, and it certainly seemed that way because we had this society where the consensus was it's no longer acceptable to be a dick anymore. You know, you have to. <laughs> um, but, the, but the thing is, we completely abandoned the, the class thing. And... Um, and as you say, all that stuff was just simmering under the surface. And now the the fact that the the organized parties of the left haven't been speaking to working people for such a long time, um, it, they, they just had, like, they were not able to call on those people for their votes because, you know, people people said, you just, you don't have any credibility with us anymore. You didn't, you've never stood for anything. And, yes, come back and bit us on the ass, basically. Yeah. I mean, and... and I mean, part of me, I mean, like, this is where we have to think back to 2000, because the one thing that happened is, you know, Bush didn't win the majority. Trump didn't win the majority. So there's, the, but the thing that they did win is they won the the validation that they can be hmm. powerful. And I do remember the protests. I do remember the marches under Bush. And I do remember, unfortunately, they were not enough to mm-hmm. disrupt what he was going to do. And at the same time, we also have to look at the, I hate bringing this up, but I, we have to look at the impact of nine 11 and be concerned about what just happened is that Trump is now the empire that we don't want that all our enemies want (laughs) to say that we are. And it yeah, gets I mean, more... have, have you been seeing all the all the messages from ISIS and and Al Qaeda going, "Yay, Trump victory! This is exactly what we wanted." Yes, and so like that means the concern, the the if you will, the nine eleven effect of if if a crazy fucking shit ha- explosion or whatever happens, an attack or whatever, it's going to heighten the xenophobia, xenophobia, the racism, and everything else. And it's going to push us back further. And the thing is, like, that's where we need to learn from both our response to George W. Bush, our response in Occupy, and figure out what what groundwork do we need to start laying now, given this uproar. Like, and, and I think this is a very opportune moment because I, I had gone to the the protests that happened here in Boston on Wednesday night, and you know, I have never been part of a march in Boston that had ten thousand plus people. And that was a police reporting, which means there's probably a lot more. Uh, and the the people, some of the people I've run into there, like this is their first protest, and these are people in their forties. 
mm-hmm. that are deeply concerned about their children and deeply concerned about their children growing up with this type of president who has gotten in with all the all the crap that we criticize Clinton for, which is rightfully so, we, not Bill Clinton for that matter. Um, but now we have elected this person, um, and there are changes in demographics, like I, to the point where I can even share that my sister, who has not been very politically active, is deeply concerned because her kids go to school with a tremendous amount of, of Mexicans, like literally, mm-hmm. because they have bilingual ed, and they're concerned about losing their friends. And they, like my sister, is being asked. You know, is is my friend going to be deported? And my sister can't answer that question legitimately. Like, yeah, there, it's too hard to say. And that, like, so there's a there's a moment here where we can be expanding a lot, and I think it's it's opportune that we jump on this. But we also need to figure out how to keep people engaged and how to keep move the movement going forward. Mm-hmm. Um, because protests and marches are great, but that's just the start. You know, we have to mm-hmm. figure out other ways to disrupt anything that is against what we want and need. Yeah, I mean, I've seen pictures and footage of the some of the marches on social media, and particularly something that happened in LA, which looked really, really massive. What's your take on the scale of this? I mean, is it kind of unprecedented mobilization for the US, or is it the same kind of stuff that was happening with Bush? Uh. I mean, I feel like right now it's it's unprecedented, but it's also not clear. Mm-hmm. So with with Bush, you know, it took actions by Bush to cause that those those uproars. And I mean, the, the I mean, we think back to two thousand, and there's so much stuff, more social movement stuff that was going on because you know there's the Seattle and WTO and all these protests that were going along, but then nine eleven just wiped that shit out. Mm-hmm. And it had to reorganize. So, like, I, I mean, I think there was a lot that was building up to that point, and then it just it just got wiped out. So, I, I think I think there's a lot more connections at this point. Um, I think there's a lot more crossovers. Um, the to me, it seems unprecedented. But I, again, at the same time, I was also not as radical in 2000 as I am now. So it, my perception on it is a little bit different, um, mm-hmm. and so it's—I don't want to really offer a specific advice on that. I just think it's an opportune moment that we need mm-hmm. to be building, and we need to be talking to our neighbors, and we need to be doing everything that the system's been basically making us not do. Um, yeah, and I, and yeah, sorry. Yeah, no, I guess um, the only thing I was going to move to is to say that this is kind of the stuff that's happening everywhere in the world. It's, mm-hmm. It's not just the the U.S. and it really is. I mean, neoliberal globalization hasn't worked for ordinary people for a couple of decades. I mean, certainly since it started in the whenever late eighties, early nineties. Um, but it kind of held together until the financial crisis, um, and I, I think you know that was a. Um, an economic it was such a that was such a shock to the world economic system um, and that was completely papered over but you know printing money and we'll just do more of the same kind of thing and and yeah I mean capitalism broke and it's the right that's benefiting from it because you know this is the thing which is so disturbing is that the left were the ones going oh we need to patch the system together because we don't have anything else 
you know, because mm-hmm. uh, the left were aware that if the system falls apart, the right are probably going to be the ones who benefit from it. So it's been the left generally who've been arguing for continuity, like, you know, the, the unbearable status quo rather than the, you know, the hellish alternative. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really difficult to inspire people with a message of um, cling on to the unbearable status quo because... Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, yeah, so, I mean, we, we're seeing um, bold politicians become stronger. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, it's like, the, is it the T.S. Eliot poem which says, um, uh, the worst are full of passionate intensity, the best lack all conviction. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I mean, in we've got Erdogan in Turkey, who's you know gone completely nuts and is jailing everyone who disagrees with him, uh, and he's kind of like a Trump in the sense that he has just enough people to to have that you know Turkish society is completely polarized, but he he has just enough supporters to be able to hold on to power, and and he's consolidating that power and really dividing that society. And then you've got uh, Putin. Uh, in, in Russia, same same political model. Uh, you've got um, the same thing happening in Hungary, and uh, there's an election coming up in France soon. And uh, mm-hmm. the National Front, you know, people are really concerned that the National Front are going to do extremely well. And you know, then we have, I mean, something that happened today in Britain was uh, uh, Marine Le Pen, the leader of the National Front, was invited onto the BBC for a talk show, and. Jesus. On on a, a day which in Britain is called Remembrance Sunday, it's the you know it's the it's the Sunday after the 11th of November when you sort of remember the dead of World War One. So mm-hmm. um, and uh, the dead of all wars. So you know there you are mourning the victims of fascism in your church service on Sunday morning or whatever, and then you go home and switch on TV and there's a talk show with a fascist, yeah. um, and and uh, the media completely normalized um, fascism by mm-hmm. uh, not only giving it a platform but going oh wow this is exciting this is edgy um, this gets clicks this uh, people want to watch this stuff and uh, I guess I'm going to say it's you know um, I'm going to blame postmodernism again and, and saying like there's a complete disconnect from the meaning of words and yeah. the meaning of political movements and like oh, wow, he came on TV and said something really outrageous and that, you know, that was good for views and so he can sell more advertising or whatever the case is um, without any kind of understanding of how giving oxygen to ideas like that really helps them to spread and and to build a movement. Um, mm-hmm. There's a lot of really angry people out there, people who are legitimately angry. Um, the problem is that the causes of their anger are actually quite complicated. Like, mm-hmm. and they don't have a single easily identifiable target. I mean, yes, it's the global economic system. Yes, it's the banks. Yes, those people are representatives of that. But it's quite difficult to target your anger against the entire system that you live inside of. It's, yeah. it's too abstract and too amorphous. So that's what makes the job of the left quite difficult is that you, get, you, know, you, you reach out to people and they're anger and you, 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 then you have to explain to them. You know, you have to explain this is how the system works. And then you start, you, you, you then have to have it, you know, if you manage to get that kind of understanding across, you then have to have a conversation about, okay, that's how the system works. These are tactically the things that we can do 
to challenge the system. And then you start talking about union organizing and community organizing and all sorts of stuff which is vital, but which is hard work and takes a long time. And then you get um, the right-wingers coming along and saying, um, oh, it's not that complicated. It's, it's really simple. It's, you know, it's the blacks, the Jews, the whatever, the gays, the women. And uh, they give really, really simple answers to very, very complex questions. And mm -hmm. uh, uh, people find it emotionally satisfying. Like you're angry and you want to react. When you're angry, you don't want to um, read Capital. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, it's, it's true. I mean... It the the threat of the threat of fascism is so there and i i, I think uh, while you were talking i was thinking about this too which is like the, the similarities of the 1920s to now mm -hmm. and that we that it's if anything are very important to consider because like the the 1920s is historically at least taught in the united states is the booming 20s and the booming mm -hmm. 20s was not for the working class by any stretch there's mm -hmm. a booming twenties for the freaking elites that were having all their parties while there's you know, no you know allowed the mm -hmm. the alcohol was not allowed to be drunk but they were able to drink it somehow uh, ironically mm -hmm. and then but like it led up to the 1930s which had I mean that's where fascism really took power um, mm -hmm. was with the economic crisis of of the 1920s and what is so similar is that you know that was a liberal era. If we go with mm -hmm. neoliberal being near that era, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, which is what most people don't really completely connect to, is that mm. we we may be looking at the end of a neoliberal era. We don't know. It's not really clear mm -hmm. because the the reason we may be coming to the end of it is because it may just completely rupture and and the economy may completely crash. And mm -hmm. at least in the U.S. context of it, like since I've been back to Boston, I have seen the the new real estate bubble growing and it is mm -hmm. expanding tremendously fast while gentrifying at the same time and it is i mean it would be only ironic if that's the economy that completely crashes because that's the economy that trump comes from mm -hmm. is real estate mm -hmm. and so mm -hmm. it, it, it's and when you have changes of of presidencies there is always an act, i mean look at the last changes of presidencies we've seen economic failure after economic failure after there was a major change in, in party parties. So, like, mm -hmm. in 2000, there was an economic crisis. In 2008, there was an economic crisis. 2016, oh my gosh, there might be an economic crisis. Um, so, it's not too surprising. It's just a matter of being organized well enough to understand that we need to be figuring out that. And we need to make sure that we do it better than we responded with Occupy. Like, mm -hmm. Occupy was good. And I think it started taking structure when it was getting dismantled. Mm -hmm. um, and now our opposition is even harsher than that because, you know, then the cops were somewhat neutral to a certain extent until they were mm -hmm. forced to do something. And I'm not saying cops are ever on our side, but, um, you know, for a long period of time, they didn't do anything um, mm -hmm. right away. They were gathering information and trying to do small things in certain places, but we're, we were seeing that opposition. Now we have leaders that we can actually call on and doing and calling on them to... to to be the they be the enemy that they are instead of mm -hmm. you know Obama was like well he's he's sort of the enemy you know yeah yeah um, but the, the 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 threatening part of this is that I mean something that Obama had in a way that he didn't use after he got elected was the ability to get rallies together and get people mm -hmm. together cheering for the agenda and he didn't do it I don't know why mm -hmm. he didn't do it it was the stupidest thing he never did mm -hmm. I think Trump learned from that. And I think mm -hmm. that's what he's going to try to do in his first year, 
is building up the rallies when Congress doesn't do what he wants. Yeah. And there is going to be opposition within Congress, both on the Republicans and the Democratic Party's sides, because of the different things that he's projecting. Um, if we look at, like, you know, his he wants to redo the infrastructure because our infrastructure is a, a bawling and, and embarrassing uh, for the so-called uh, most developed country in the world. Um, and so he's going to run into fiscal conservatives that are going to be like, no, no, we can't mm-hmm. spend. Um, mm-hmm. While at the same time trying to cut taxes. So, like, there, it's... And, the, I mean, the one thing that's interesting with Trump is he's not scared to run up debts. He's done that every time and declared bankruptcy. Mm. Whether that would happen with our country is a whole other question. I mean, if we look at that tactic. Um, I mean, so I, this is where I'm saying I get chaotic in, in, in trying to think of this stuff because there's some interesting shit and then there's some really scary shit. So we could make a step forward in a really good way on certain things. If NAFTA gets revoked, that would be phenomenal. But the economic mm-hmm. c- circumstances of that would also be treacherous. Um, the immediate circumstances, at least, because of the pipelines and supply chains for things coming into the U.S. economy coming from Canada and Mexico. Um, and th- and if that suddenly was like a, if you will, a, a virtual wall of, okay, now everything has to get tariffed coming in... Um, and going and returning to an isolationist perspective, that that would be great. Uh, building the wall would be horrible <laughs> um, because at that point we'd be trying to get out of the country. <laughs> so like we, we we don't want the wall there because we want to go that way. <laughs> um, and at the same time, like you know, he wants to re- pull back on the military, and so it's just like, all right, that's good. We want to get less military around the world and stop spending money on it. But at the same time, he wants to use nuclear weapons. I'm like, oh god. <laughs> Like, so this is where, like, I'm going to be pulling my hair out on trying to figure out what the fuck is going to go on. And I'm sure I'm not Mm going to be the only one. Mm -hmm. But it's, but at the same time, like, you know, right now, in between now and when he, when he is inaugurated, um, and our stupid 270 people who make the decisions of this presidency make their vote, um, in the electoral college, uh, you know, he need, he, he has a shitload of problems to fix already of like with his followers that I just don't know if he's going to and if he doesn't it's I mean this is going back to like Jim Crow and freaking mm. so many other fucking problems that have happened in the, south, in the south and other parts of the country that were completely racist and legal um and yeah I I, yeah, I guess I got I, no I guess I, I guess you know it's what you're saying I had um, a couple of thoughts that came to me and the first is like, um, you know, when I woke up the morning of the Brexit vote um, and I was like, oh, my God, you know, I don't believe they actually did this. Not because I have any enthusiasm at all for the European Union, but because I knew what the Brexit vote meant for the people who voted for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Trump has felt like deja vu. But in the sense, you know, I was I've been really concerned about the consequences of Brexit. Now, I, I, I'm not worried about that at all. I mean, compared to Trump, that is that, that's minor. You know, that's like... Um, but, but the thing for me that is similar about the two is that... Um, are you, are you, you're probably aware of the, 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 the idea from particularly Jungian psychology of the shadow like the the repressed part of the personality which is not dealt with. Mm-hmm. And for me, like both Trump and Brexit seem to represent the, the unresolved shadow of both those countries. Because um, what Brexit was about is um, 
getting the British Empire back again. Because mm-hmm. um, basically, you know, after the end of um, World War II, um, you know, 1945, I mean, geez, I mean, we can look at historical cycles and you can see how, I mean, you were speaking earlier about um, the liberal era of the 20s, the Weimar Republic, all that kind of stuff, and then the economic crisis, then the rise of fascism, and then the old world completely being destroyed in a war. And then after the war, we get the so-called golden age of capitalism with the welfare state, social democracy, all that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but during that period, the British Empire ended and a lot of people never dealt with it and have a nostalgia for it, even mm-hmm. people who weren't born then. Um, yeah. And now, basically, they want to stop trading with Europe and, be, and, and get the Commonwealth back. They, I mean, people are literally saying, we don't have to trade with Europe, we can trade with India and Canada and Australia and New Zealand and South Africa. Um, forgetting, of course, that those countries have all moved on and yeah. have no particular interest in buying tons of Marmite and and God knows what else Britain still makes. Um, <laughs> and and I think in the US it's the same thing. It's like there's you know people clinging on to a vision of America that used to exist yeah. or an imaginary America that doesn't exist. And all this racism, all the stuff that's been suppressed. I guess at least now it's out in the open and it can yeah. be confronted and called out um, and challenged and, you know, we can't pretend it's not there and we have to literally on a day-to-day basis look out for each other. Like yeah. Be aware of the fact that a lot of people are going to be under a lot of pressure. People are going to get um, attacked and abused and, you know, and we, we really need to construct the society that we want to live in, like personally, each of us on a day-to-day level. Basically, we can't rely on liberal politicians to make it not okay to be racist anymore because Mm -hmm. that world is now gone we have to we have to make that ourselves we have to we have to make that society like on on an absolute personal level and uh, yeah i guess you know um the only positive way i can look at it is to say that maybe this is like a like a, a, a purge you know, like get Britain and America to own all their shit and just put it out there and no longer suppress it and deal with it. And um, and yeah, I mean, it's the end of a world cycle. A world cycle started in 1945 and I think it's now very definitely ended. Yeah. Um, it was a cycle of convergence, things coming together, um, the myth of progress, the idea that everything, you know, things were we're getting a little bit better, you know, like around the world, there was this march of progress. Things were getting a little bit better every year. That's gone. That's ended. And we now in the beginning of a new world cycle, a new, a new age in history. Um, And it doesn't really feel like the age of Aquarius. Um, (laughs) (laughs) No, they also changed that whole, like didn't the astronomers change where that is? And (laughs) yeah, I I, I don't know. uh, But, we don't we don't know what that age is going to bring and uh, i guess what's so tragic is that people don't learn from history because the the links with what happened in the 20s and 30s and 40s are are so apparent to us that other people would be like oh he's not like hitler he doesn't have a mustache (laughs) he's he's got a freaking toupee (laughs) oh my god i mean this is i mean we, we we could obviously go on for hours on this and i I think what will be interesting i think uh you and i certainly need to talk about this as as a 
as things progress and try to figure out uh, outlets that we can go out with and with things that we can do on the ground, things that we can start building for trying to bring about this change that we need. Um, I think we just need to be on our toes on not to know what we're going to expect, but mm-hmm. to keep the movements that we're connected with going, build them. I mean, I, that's a, that's where I think there's an opportunity. Just Just going from my sibling talking about this and she asking me what she can do and that's the first in my life that she's actually done that and mm. and you know me advising i'm like look you know we have we have the need to support all these other movements that have been going on and you know um these movements have been predominantly of those communities like if we look at immigrant rights movements and look at the african american black lives matters movements there's a need for for us who are who are white uh, to be part of them because mm-hmm. we need to support our allies. We need to defend the racism and and, and sexism that's going to happen in the public, and we need to confront it. Um, but we need to do it in the sense that like this is not acceptable, but we can't do it violently because that's that's what they want. And we we need to work on those tactics of trying to to support our, our allies and be more in in connection with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's going to take time. It's going to take learning. But it's a matter that we need to do it if we don't. Because if we don't do it, then then we don't. We're going to get the fascist state that we don't want. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, it'll be. It's. I mean, it's going to be chaotic. Um, and that's all I can go back to. Is this? It's going to be chaotic. <sighs> yep. Well, on that uh, on that cherry note, shall we jump into our tech section? Yeah. Yeah, that sounds good. Which for you is computers. So, security, 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 security. <laughs> yeah, that would seem to be a fairly sensible thing to to discuss, um, given that uh, lovely benign Mr. Obama, Obama built the world's most sophisticated surveillance mechanism ever and is now giving it to Trump. Yeah, shit. So, <laughs> uh, I mean, if there's any any reason one should be thinking about uh, encryption and learning about it, now is the time. <laughs> um, because there's a need to make sure that our communication that may be uh, in opposition to the now president-elect um, and them finding out about it, this is how... I mean, this is a time where we need to be so deeply concerned about it. We, I think when we first started this podcast, we were talking about you know oppressive nations and the use of like Tor and Encryption Egypt and being and an important Turkey thing for and whistleblowers. Like yeah. uh, now we're the oppressive nation in the United States, <laughs> and so um, it all comes home. Um, and so, I, I mean, I I, we, I don't know how much detail we need to go into, but people are using their mobile phones. So, you know, if you're using Android, there is a way to encrypt the data that's on your phone already. Um, there's also ways to set up encrypted communication. Um, I know two different applications that can do that, if not more. Uh, so, uh, I, I guess, yeah, I guess the one really important development which has happened over the past years is that this stuff has become a lot easier. Like when we first started talking about encryption, there was actually a bit of a learning curve. Yeah, yeah. Um, and now um, there are a couple of apps which you can use, which will actually give you a pretty good level of encryption without you having to. Um, learn a lot of technical stuff. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and I, I guess before you, you tell us what the apps are, I guess the only other important thing worth saying is that probably the, the biggest weak spot in any bit of encryption is you. Uh, yeah. it's, it's like your behavior and, and, and what you do. So, you know, no matter what tool you find and how good it is, um, be aware that it's, you know, I mean, it's basically if you, if you have a, a house with an amazing security system, but you forget to lock the door when you leave, it's, it's not going to help you. So mm-hmm. I guess all of us need to become kind of conscious of, of the messages that we, we send. Yeah. Yeah. Most certainly. And, uh, I, like I want to give resources to people, so there, I want to put links in the show notes on this um, for things that are going to be helpful. So um, first, I'll let's go over some of the places that people can find resources. The, there is the Guardian Project, um, and they have a lot of tools that are both for iOS and Android uh, for doing encryption as well as obscuring photos and getting rid of geo tagging and geo location stuff within photos. Uh, as well as instant messaging with more more encryption. Uh, that now that means though, just for the record, for people to know that if you're using instant messaging with encryption, it's a two way thing. Like it can't just be from one side to the other because you, you have to have just from the somewhat technical side. If I'm encrypting a message to Walton, I'm encrypting it on my side on my computer, sending it over the internet so it's encrypted. That if anybody gets it, they'd have to try to figure out how to decrypt it. But you, when it gets to you, you have a key that can decrypt it from me, and then you can see the message that I send. That's encryption mm-hmm. in a nutshell, if you will. Um, and so what's really important is just to keep that in mind. Uh, but the, the the applications that are out there, there's just a lot. So the Guardian Project is one place to start. Uh, Tactical Tech is another uh, as well. Um, there have been growing ones to use on your computer, like Bitmask, um, and Leap, uh, but Leap and Bitmask are connected, but they're putting it in simple forms of setting up a way to encrypt your, your communication via the internet and doing it in a way that it's just like one click and one click button, turn on, and now things are encrypted. Uh, that doesn't mean that you have to feel completely safe. The We've learned from Snowden and everybody else that there's the ability to decrypt these things over time mathematically. It's like a big, big equation, if you will. Um, and trying to figure out what all the possible variables are to, to undo the big equation. Um, and so um, the for day-to-day communication from your mobile device, uh, the one that you and I have been using is Telegram, um, which uh, ease of use is there, and it can use it on your desktop as well. Uh, encryption is a little bit... It's not great, but it's not bad. Um, mm-hmm. There's still areas for improvement, and I'm hoping that given the current state of things that they're going to step that up and we should encourage them to do it since it's free and open source. That means that we can push and mm-hmm. ask for more changes to be done. And, um, and yeah, from, from a user perspective, actually te- I, I really like telegram. It's really good. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it's pretty much like WhatsApp. So, you know, if you're used to using WhatsApp, um, which does encrypt, but do you, do you trust them because they're owned by Facebook basically? Yeah. Um, just switch from WhatsApp to Telegram and try and get your friends to do that as well because it'll be relatively seamless. It works in the same way. You can make groups. Um, and you can actually do a few more things on Telegram that you can't do on um, on WhatsApp. You can have like channels which broadcast and, and so on, which is actually, actually quite useful. Um, mm-hmm. And the other thing that you can do on Telegram is disappearing messages, which are 
great i think it's a, yeah. you know really really good way of of doing things so unlike whatsapp instead of backing up all your messages to the cloud where someone's going to steal them at some point you can actually set uh, all your communications to um auto destruct after however many seconds or minutes or days mm-hmm. you set and i think yeah so i think telegram is great um and signal is yeah. pretty good as well yeah signal is the other one and and so I know in both cases of Telegram and Signal, for our free software advocates out there, you guys are going to be probably annoyed in one form, one form or another. Um, Signal encryption is a lot better than Telegram. Um, their user in- interface was a little bit... Uh, that's where it's improving and it's better now. Um, but the the catch with it is their versions of... Their official version connects with Google. So there's some concern of like Google having access to some data, but it's still encrypted better than uh, Telegram. But it's at the same time you have a company side of it like WhatsApp. So there there's some concerns in both cases um, of it. Um, both of them are are I think good. I use both in my case because there are people that don't use Telegram that use Signal and people who use Signal that don't use Telegram. So having multiple forms of communication I think is actually good. Uh, and some of the crypto stuff that has happened with Signal and, and WhatsApp, because they're actually using the same level of encryption, uh, is that that's been brought over in part to um, some of the stuff that people may be familiar with, like XMPP, or otherwise known as Jabber. Um, there, there is a now extensions in Gageim and uh, Conversation, which is an Android app uh, that uses the same level of encryption. Uh, and since those are federated, those there's a le- better level of security in the sense of nobody har- or harvesting the data and such like that. Um, there is... Uh, I started playing with this one uh, because it has the same level of encryption. Um, uh, blanking on the name of it. It's like uh, cat something. Um, ah, it's going to drive me nuts that I can't remember it. I'm going to search for it really quickly while I'm talking. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, don't mind me. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, uh, they. Uh, shit. Hold on. Give me two seconds. I'm gonna find this. Um, oh, CryptoCat. Um, CryptoCat is its own. It has the same level of encryption. Uh, it's it's kind of in the same sense of like Google Chat in the sense you set up an account and you have that account and it's not federated, but it's using the same technology as XMPP and Jabber. It's just they have a, a an inherent wall because part of their model is let's just make it easy to go to one place and then we'll worry about the federation later, um, mm-hmm. which there's an argument for that too. So there's there's some concern about that. Um, in the terms of email, this may be the one and only time that I actually promote uh, where I currently work, um, but there's email self-defense, um, and I'll put a link in the show notes for this too. Um and that's setting up GPG encryption to your emails. Again, you ha- if you encrypt on your own computer and sending it to somebody else, they need to be able to decrypt it. So there's some. Uh, that's where it gets a little bit, a little bit of a learning curve. Um, uh, but the email self defense is really good at explaining a lot of it, uh, much better than others. Um, and then jumping back to Jabber and XMPP, in addition to Omemo, which is the new encryption level, there's also still off the record. Uh, that is a good tool to use um, on encrypting between communication. Um, but again, the slight learning curve because if you don't have a device that does encryption for it, then it can become a slight problem. So um, just things to keep in mind. 
Well, thank you for the security roundup, Stephen. No problem. Um, stay, stay safe, folks. Um, get into the habit of using uh, crypto by default, and um, let's let's build a movement. Yeah, certainly. Help will come whenever it's needed. Cheer, my comrades, cheer. I think that's we where we can end it. I think uh, maybe we could do an outlaying song of uh, some nice folk song, and we'll have to pick that later, I guess, unless I can remember one <laughs> off the top of your head. Uh, but uh, there's there's going to be a lot to go on, and I think um, I think we should go for Bella Ciao. Bella Ciao. All right. Mm. <laughs> well, enjoy, and uh, we'll try to bring this podcast back once again. Um, <laughs> maybe it'll be a year and two months instead of a year and month. No, wait, that would be adding more. uh we'll see we'll see when we can try to get this recorded again and uh thank you for listening thank you and uh hopefully you'll hear our dulcet tones through your headphones once again visit us at cyberunions.org follow us on twitter and identica at cyberunions or on reddit slash r slash cyberunions you can also email us feedback or grievance at cyberunions.org thank you for listening Esta mañana me he levantado Oh, bella, chao, bella, chao, bella, chao, chao, chao Esta mañana me he levantado y he descubierto al invasor Oh, partillano, me voy contigo Ciao, bella, ciao, bella, ciao, 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 artigiano, me voy contigo porque me siento aquí morir. Y si yo caigo en la guerrilla, oh, bella, ciao, bella, ciao, bella, ciao, 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 si yo caigo en la En la montaña, oh bella ciao, bella ciao, bella ciao, cava una fosa en la montaña a la sombra de una flor. Así la gente cuando la vea, oh bella ciao, bella ciao, bella ciao.